Hey everyone, my name is Yaro, and you're listening to the Creative Nature Podcast. I'm so proud to send this episode to you. I think it has so much value, it's so needed. I feel so excited about my guest, Laura May Northrop, who wrote a book called Radical Healership, which I love. And I can really honestly say I'm proud of all my guests. I'm really so grateful that I get to have these conversations in this way and that I get to share them with you. I'm such a hardcore introvert and I had a longer chat today with someone that I don't really know really well in my neighborhood in person and I loved it but it was also really hard and it just really made me think gosh I just love interviewing people so much because it allows for so much depth without me having to figure out the you know social conventions of an unstructured conversation <laughs> so Thank you for for listening and for letting me have this space and do this work. Laura's work really touched me, as I've mentioned, in a really deep way because um, for so many reasons, I can't even find the words. I really hope that you will check her book out and consider listening to her podcast. I think if you enjoyed this one, you really might enjoy Inside Eyes as well. I'm so grateful that this book exists now and. I really loved listening back to this conversation. I think we covered a, re- a lot of really good ground from what it means to be a healing practitioner at this time in capitalism to what it means to not let rejection be the whole story. That really touched me listening back just now to psychedelic preparation and integration and everything that comes with that. And also the meaning and the value of listening to survivors not in a sensational way but in a way that allows us to witness each other heal which I think we really need um so yeah enjoy the conversation a few updates from me um I am offering creative portals instead of my patreon community now and those are seasonal commitments where you can spend three months with us um weekly sessions are there for you to enjoy if you want them We're meeting every Sunday at 8 p.m. UK time to kind of check in, ground a little bit, and do some creative practice of our own understanding together. And then we also have a space on Mighty Network, and there is a seasonal theme. Mm. I'll link to that in the show notes. And the first Sunday each month, I'm also going to be offering um, queer spirit sessions where we get together you know, just just being a queer space. Uh, so it's not for everyone, but there's stuff for other people as well. There is stuff for everyone. Anyway, but this is for queers who want to explore their spirituality in a group. And the format that I'm currently thinking of is to spend 20 minutes in quiet contemplation together. And that could be daydreaming, it could be looking at the sky, it could be meditation, journaling, making art, whatever feels right for you. And then to have 15 minutes of kind of open sharing what came up for people there's no need to share um i yeah i'm just experimenting with this format it's going to be free and i haven't got a sign up yet but that's coming maybe next week so check back on my website or look out for my newsletter and my last announcement is that i'm running two live courses in my other business pinkwell studio this summer One is I'm starting a podcast that's a two-part workshop series where 
I'm going to teach and share everything that I've learned from the past six years of podcasting. So if you've been wanting to start a podcast, but you just need a lot of guidance and support and group accountability, I hope you'll consider that. And then uh, from July and August, or July mid-July to August, I will be offering a four-week live round of my program called Create and Launch, which is for people who want to create and then market a an online course in a way that isn't icky, that isn't just based on scarcity marketing, that's very honest and community-based and generous. And I will talk you through both the technical aspects of production and setting things up and uh, creating a payment gateway, payment plans, pricing, all that kind of stuff, but also the mindset work of um, thinking about what you want to share and how and what the right format is, what might make it accessible to people and how you can come up with a marketing plan that feels good and is sustainable. Um, yeah, so I'll link to that as well. And now I'll let you listen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hi, everyone. I know I always say this, but I really, truly am excited for this interview. I'm speaking to the wonderful Laura Northrop, who I first encountered through the podcast Inside Eyes. And I'm, I'm fairly sure that I must have mentioned it um, on this show as well and recommended it to a ton of people. It really helped me contextualize my own experiences in a new way. I just so appreciate the way that the content, the podcast really opens up so many beautiful conversations around healing and processing difficult experiences and owning our narratives and reframing things in our own way. And yeah, if you've been listening for any amount of time on the show, these are all things that I'm super passionate about. So yeah, Laura, I'm so happy to have you. Really excited to ask you all my nerdy questions. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Yaro. I'm really excited to be here. Yay, thank you. So I have already mentioned, and I'm so sorry that people can't see this, but your hair is incredible. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I wish people could could see it, but um, in the absence of being able to see your hair, can you tell us a little bit more about where you are in the world, what nature is like around you? How's your day been so far? Yeah, so I'm in Oakland, California in the US, and um, my day has just started because you know I'm in a different time zone, so it's early here. What's nature like around me? You know, something funny about living in California is that um, I used to live in um, in Washington State. Uh, that's where I'm from in the U.S. And um, Washington is like a very lush, beautiful, like moss everywhere, ferns. It's so gorgeous. Evergreen trees, you know, people drive down the freeway and they're in awe. And, and I mean, normally when you're on the freeway, you're not looking out thinking like this is a beautiful view. And it's just um, so beautiful there. And when I moved to California, so California is really dry. Um, and also we have a lot of stuff around drought and I mean, fires, and it's definitely a very different scene here. But um, people would look out at like all this dead grass and uh, on hillsides and say, gosh, isn't this so beautiful? And I, <laughs> and I would be like, no, it's all dead. Like this isn't, this is not beautiful. But now that I've lived here for a very long time, I can say it's really beautiful. There's all this like gold, uh, golden grass that kind of dies back um, in the summers and, and really comes back to life in the winters. It's actually not all dead. Um, and yeah, and the ocean is right near me. And that's something that's, I don't know that I can ever move away from the Pacific Ocean. I just love it so much. So 
it's that that's the nature here. And, and then in my home where I am right now, I just have so many plants. It's like plant overload. Yeah. Same here. That sounds beautiful. And you have a really lovely picture of like an abstract plant behind you as well. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a cactus. It, the title of this is the plants heal me, which is, um, very, uh, uh, synchronistic with the podcast that we're going to talk about yeah yeah absolutely um so I mean I've, I've already said my mushy bit about how much I appreciate your work I really do and I want everyone to know about it how would you describe your work and what is important to you in your practice at the moment yeah so um so the podcast for people who haven't listened it's a podcast that's about people who are using psychedelics and entheogens to heal sexual trauma and it's it's really more of an audio series than a sort of like an ongoing podcast. Um, it's set up so that you can go to episode one and listen through. And in episode one, I really set up the um, kind of the theory that I'm going off of, which is that I really think about sexual violence through a spiritual lens. And um, and when I say spiritual, I don't mean kind of religious or attached to a certain religion, but but really thinking about it as something that affects us um, in the level of our own spirit. Um, and that's another reason that I think sometimes traditional talk therapy doesn't necessarily get to everything that's sort of needed to be gotten to um, in the healing that people require or, or kind of need in order to um to really get to a new place around sexual violence. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people are finding with psychedelics and entheogens. So the podcast is sort of, there's the couple episodes setting it up. And then there's, I think, 12 interviews that are um, really in-depth interviews with people who are survivors of sexual violence about the different psychedelics and entheogens that they've used, what kinds of other healing modalities they've tried and kind of what their life has been like. And then it ends with a couple of episodes um, about uh, other aspects of this work. And one of them that I want to name because it's so up right now in the media is just that a lot of people actually are experiencing sexual violence from healing practitioners that offer psychedelic medicine. And that's just something we have to talk about because it's it's this really um, distressing and horrific thing that's happening that hopefully um, will happen less and less, but it is a concern. And then the other big thing that I'm working on in my life right now and my sort of practice is that I'm releasing a book and my book is called Radical Healership and um, it's called Radical Healership, How to Build a Values-Driven Practice in a Profit-Driven World, uh, a Values-Driven Healing Practice. And um, yeah, and that book, you know, it, I feel like it's kind of a bait and switch because it sounds like it's just going to be a business how-to book, but it's really like this totally anti-capitalist self-help book for healing practitioners that's just like all about thinking about healing from a political lens. It's about thinking about what it means to be a healing practitioner in, within capitalism. So, you know, as healing practitioners, we're here to offer uh support and healing, but we have to operate in a system where that harms people and, and, um, and just really exploring those big questions. So that's some of the stuff that I'm doing in my practice right now. And then I also am a psychotherapist and I practice, um, yeah, uh, uh, I practice, sorry, everybody, you can't see what I'm saying, but yes, uh, I'm also a, psych a psychotherapist and I'm a somatic psychotherapist. And so I'm very interested in the body, um, and how that plays a part in healing. And, um, and I, you know, I just have my regular clinical practice. So 
Yeah. Julie, that's cool. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. I want to circle back to the podcast because I really care so much about people tuning in if they haven't already. It really is such a beautiful series of interviews. I love the way that you've set it up because I think people, you know, telling their own stories and having that space. For me, it was such an important piece of integration because those aren't conversations that are widely being had at the moment, sadly. And there was just such resonance with what people were describing. And I I didn't have those resources really when I, you know, experimented or experimentation is the wrong word, but I very intentionally um, engaged with psychedelics to confront some of my own experiences and heal. And um, I want to use the word reframe because I think that was part of what happened to me or for me. But I think I'm very careful because I, feel like in the spiritual space often a reframe is kind of forced upon us where we're like well if you just see it this way it will feel better and if you can't make that switch happen then it's on you that it still feels heavy on you you know so um but yeah it really has changed a lot for me and it's been so wonderful to listen so thank you so much and feeling less alone as well I think is is really important and you're right there are so many pieces and talking therapy is amazing but it's one piece and sometimes for me at least it didn't get to really the deepest embodied part of myself that needed really to be seen and to feel that there was space for ritual and for connection with something bigger than myself and I think psychedelics I mean, they just turn you inside out. They can make that, we really can open that up for you. So, yeah. And then, sorry, did you want to say to that? Well, yeah, just, you know, I think that so much of what spiritual life is about is being connected to something larger than ourselves. And I think something that happens for people who experience sexual violence is that it can really make a person feel separate. It can really make a person feel like I don't actually belong to the group, to the core, to the source, to everything. And, um, and so I think that's a, just a, the, that point you're bringing up. It's such an important part of, I think, why sexual violence is a, is a form of spiritual violence um, and why there's such a need for spiritual healing. And also, um, yeah, just the piece about kind of what it means to listen to the show. I think that um, it is really rare that we actually listen really in depth to people who are survivors of sexual violence, just really describing their experience um, and their healing. There's a lot of, of kind of sensationalizing, wanting to hear stories of violence without the healing part. You know, and I think we see that all the time on television where it's like, oh, there's this terrible, you know, assault case and there's all this drama around it. And this is like a cop show or something. It's just so rare that it's like, yeah, people heal. And this is how they heal. And this is what it feels like. Um, and then I also think with psychedelics, you know, as they mainstream, there's such an emphasis on them being um, kind of like the magic ticket that you, you know, that hasn't existed before or something. And I also think the show really helps with expectation management, because while there are some interviews where people go in and they're like, I healed, I never had a migraine again after I, you know, used MDMA. Like, I mean, some people did have really profound healing. There's also people who kind of go in and they really describe the the nuance of the very the gains from the psychedelic experience psychedelic experience but it's not like they come out and they're like oh wow I'll never suffer again you know it just really kind of demonstrates the actual long-term process of of what it means to do that kind of work 
Yeah, absolutely. And and now that you're talking, my own memory of listening comes back to me now. I was walking this beach in Kinghorn and when I just moved to Scotland, I had this really intense landscape with these like black cliffs and then the open white sea. And I, I think it was really, yeah, exactly what you're saying. The complexity was so important to witness in people that isn't a magic ticket. It can be such, such hard work. It can be so confronting. And you need to know that you're not alone in that experience when it comes up for you and it isn't, you know, it's not smooth sailing. I remember one time many years ago, <clears throat> the next day I went to the corner shop and bought some like pot noodles. I was like, this is so incredible. I cannot believe that I've confronted these like darkest parts of myself and now I'm buying pot noodles. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, the other piece I wanted to circle back to was um, what you said about healership and the book. And I'd love to hear more about what writing that was like because I, I wrote a book two years ago. I know it's a wildly beautiful but also stressful and difficult process and I think the subjects that you're covering are so beautiful many of my listeners and this podcast and the other one I'm, I'm running another one called embodied business podcast where we talk about exactly that and a lot of um, makers or healers and artists are listening and we constantly have these conversations I think it's the story of my lifetime like how to how to do your work in the world, world with integrity and in alignment with your values without abandoning yourself um, and kind of with a direction that moves to a world that we want. So yeah, please tell us more. What was that like? <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I could say so much. Uh, um, <clears throat> well, the first thing I'll say is I actually used a lot of psychedelics in order to write the book. Um, so <laughs> I would get to these points in the book and be like, I can't write anything else. I don't know what to say in this chapter. Um, and then I would go on a journey and, and I mean, I was like a total, uh, just like a weird little creature with like a recorder in my hand. <laughs> just being like, I know what I'm going to say in chapter 12 now. <laughs> and, then, and, and like talking to myself frantically, um, so that I could record or, you know, transcribe it later. Um, yeah, writing a book is so intense, you know, it's really a process. It's a very lonely process. I mean, you, you have people read your work, but a lot of times, you know, we, for weeks and weeks, you're just kind of writing your own stuff. And so, um, you can feel, I feel like kind of isolated in it. Um, but I, it's like, I mean, it is like a journey. It's like, I, I started out and I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, I, I talk about this stuff all the time I teach about it all the time it's you know, I was laughing at me it's <laughs> uh, just from I'm narrating for listeners so they can tell what's happening but yeah it's like uh you know you think it's going to be easy and then you start doing it and it's so hard and it's such a process of um of having faith in what you're saying uh when you you don't really have a ton of positive feedback and I feel like it I had to like grow my own sense of self-esteem and self-love honestly in order to finish it um yeah and I think another thing that's really interesting about writing a book is that you want all the time that you spend writing to be useful right like you you want to like sit down and if you spent eight hours writing you want that to be eight hours of writing that is going to end up in the final book and you just have to accept that you might spend an entire week working on something that you throw out that like, isn't actually going to make the final cut. And it's such a, 
it's, it's like, you just have to embrace that. And that's actually part of the writing. Like part of the writing is that you had to say all that stuff. That's never actually going to end up in the book and maybe even have ideas that you're like, okay, I'm going to write all about this idea. And then you, you know, you spend like 20 hours writing on it and you're like, this idea doesn't hold water. It's actually not right. This isn't actually what I want to say. So I think that was like also a big part of the book is just, oh, just being, being so invested and attached because you have to be to get it on the page. And then you have to be so uninvested and so unattached in order to kind of let it go and make, and make it a final sort of the, what you really want to be saying. I'm so curious about if any of that resonates for you as a writer. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's horrible <laughs> and so beautiful, <laughs> and it's so wonderful to have it done. Yeah, I'm approaching my second book now, and I'm super excited and daunted, and it's tingly, and I'm, you know, I I will love the process, but I know I'm setting myself up for some real challenges. Yeah, and I also think you're right. Um, I I think that is like I, I think writing really flows when we step out of our normal way of being or normal ways of being in consciousness. Um, I wrote my book at the very beginning of the pandemic and I'm thinking a lot at the moment about being a survivor and having, I don't know quite how to phrase that yet, but having some level of familiarity with crisis, you know, and, and being able to be in a state of, fuck, what's happening? And it's so big and so consuming those first few months where we really had no idea how how it would be, how it would play out, how long it would last, who we would lose, who we would be within it. And that was a really good time for me to write, strangely, because I was like, yeah, I, I know this way of being. I'm <laughs> you know, going to make it happen and download it. Um, and yeah, this time I think it will be I'm a lot more gentle and, and I'm curious to see what that will be like. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know I have these thoughts like, oh, if I write a second book, which I plan to do, um, uh, you know, like I know, I know how I'll do it that, that I know how I'll do it. Then I'm really have this, this is a personal issue of mine. I convince myself something's not going to be that hard. So I'm like, oh, that first book was really hard, but that second book, but I'm sure it'll be just as difficult. Um, and I really hear you about the pandemic actually, because, you know, I wrote, um, the majority of this book during the pandemic, um, and, uh, or during the portion of the pandemic where in the Bay area, at least where I live, we were very, very locked down. Um, you know, like you couldn't go outside without wearing a mask. And, um, I know that that's not the same way it was everywhere in the world. Uh, but what a strange process to be sort of doing something that, you know, I'm like, I hope people read this. I hope that we still are, you know, I hope things still exist. And <laughs> I mean, because people were really talking about like societal collapse, which I'm not saying I'm totally opposed to, but um, uh, yeah, it was an interesting process to be writing it during the pandemic. I also think that in some ways I'm a really social person and in some ways it helped me stay really on schedule because I had zero distractions. Like no one was like, Hey, do you want to go do this amazing thing? Everyone was like, we don't want to see you or breathe the same air. It's like, okay, here I am with my book then. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's also a great segue. Um, my next question is kind of what has the pandemic been like for you so far? What has supported you? And maybe also as you're writing this book in this time, like I would love to hear more about what you're hoping for our collective healing practices moving forward. Like, where do you see things going? What are you excited about? 
Yeah, gosh, you know, what has the pandemic been like for me? There's so many different layers of it and also things that have been happening in my own life that it's kind of hard to sort of um, tease them all out. I turned 40 during the pandemic. I wrote a book. My career in a lot of ways was, um, you know, I had released my podcast prior to the pandemic and, um, and there was so many exciting projects that were starting to pick up when the pandemic started. I had designed a retreat that I was going to be leading with somebody else. Um, and, and then all that kind of fell apart, but at the same time that it fell apart, I was, I was working on the book. So in some ways, some of the things that I, I don't know exactly kind of what caused it, but I got a lot more clear about how I want to spend my time. And I got a lot more clear about what I need from other relationships with people. And I think as a therapist, you know, it's, it's being a therapist during the pandemic has been really hard. Um, people, you know, every single person, not every person I work with, but, you know, a lot of the people I work with have been in a lot of distress, obviously, as most of us have been, you know, people are facing all different kinds of things, contracting COVID, being afraid to contract COVID, having family members contract COVID. Should I get a vaccine? My family members won't get vaccinated, you know, all different kinds of um, issues. And, uh, and then to be, to be sitting across from somebody and I'm like, I have the exact same issues. Like, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do about, you know, family members that don't want to quarantine. I don't know how I'm going to deal with, um, you know, my own anxiety about, about the pandemic. Um, I mean, I know how I was, how I was, but one thing that happened is that in order to keep working, I had to like close my world down really small. Um, because I just didn't have as much room to support people in my life. And that meant that, um, <clears throat> that meant that I felt like I wasn't showing up as much for friends, um, and loved ones, but it also, I think is something a lot of people ended up doing. Um, you know, I know a lot of people have said things like I'm really distressed, but everyone around me is also distressed. And so I can't really, like, I can't get support. So so all, so all that is to say, I think the pandemic in a lot of ways, just it, it made me a lot more clear about what I can do and what I can't do. So even though I didn't necessarily want to shut my life down and make all these sort of like get kind of get smaller in certain ways, I kind of had to um, in order to keep going in order to keep supporting the people who have committed to supporting. And, you know, kind of regarding where I hope like healing goes. So one of the big things that's happening in my book is that I'm, I'm really trying to call in people stepping into this role if they want to. And I say that because I think there's a lot of people who think about becoming healing practitioners and don't um, because they don't think they can financially do it. They don't think that they're good enough to do it. Um, it's just, it's scary. You know, it's, it's definitely really heavy lifting. Like I just said, you know, during the pandemic, being a healing practitioner was like, wow, okay, you're not okay. And I'm not okay. So how are we going to do this? Um, but so it's really a book that's saying like, look, if you want to be a healing practitioner, like, let's go, let's do it. Let's talk about how you can do it. And then also, um, I'm really situating, you know, healing is really political. Like, I know that there's all these sort of wellness hashtags and all this focus on wellness being that you, you know, don't have a care in the world and you're not suffering, but actually healing is how we will get toward liberation. And so that's what a lot of what the book is centered around. 
And, um, and what I really hope for in, in moving forward is I, I hope that a lot more people want to become healing practitioners. Our world really needs it. Like we are not doing well. <laughs> we are literally killing the thing that sustains us, our earth. <laughs> so we're not doing that well. We really need help. And that means that we need a lot of healing practitioners. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think we need to think about healing in a more political way and really link, you know, when we talk about empowerment in this kind of world and obviously in the US I'm I'm situated in a very particular culture but a lot of people talk about empowerment and it's like empowerment to get a job or empowerment to like make a lot of money and yeah like I do want you to be empowered to be able to make money and get a job because we live in capitalism and you need to but like I want you to be empowered to the point that we are you know we are going to transcend this system and dismantle it because capitalism is bad for us so and exploitation is wrong. So that's sort of my larger vision. And I don't know that I'm going to see it in my lifetime, but I'm like, I'm, I'm doing my part to help people kind of get on board. And then, you know, I'm hoping that this is a, the direction that we will be going in. Yes, I was full body nodding along as you were speaking, which sadly people couldn't see. But there's two things I want to circle back on. First, I so relate to what you're saying about just making your world smaller. My world has also become so much smaller and more intimate in some ways. I have um, decluttered my house so hard, you know, I navigate this really small radius around my home and I'm so much more familiar with the landscape with my garden and some of that has been really really beautiful and difficult at the same time and someone a really wonderful called uh, Kate Stratman has shared something in her newsletter at the beginning of the pandemic which was let me mm, I think what she says was said was a lot of small businesses will survive this time by becoming smaller and more intimate versions of themselves and that really stayed with me I love that so much and I really enjoyed exploring what that meant and the second thing I wanted to circle back on was yeah you're so right <laughs> I loved everything that you were saying about you know how we relate to the planet how we relate to our own healing what we make empowerment mean and how sad it is to witness those hashtags and and the way that some something that really could be so radical and so transformative continuously is being watered down so I wonder if you I, I hear from what you're saying that you don't understand you know I don't think there's a binary between like client and practitioner whatever we're all swimming in the soup but for people who are um in the part of the soup where they want to reach out at this stage and and support themselves better and maybe like build a network around themselves but they feel the sense of alienation of of, of what the industry is like like what is a good way for people to reach out for support and decide what they want to commit to in their healing, you know, in a way that kind of is really true to them? Does that make sense as a question? Do you mean healing practitioners or do you mean people who would be, could be like people who want to become healing practitioners or do you mean people who are just looking for healing? I think, I think both, both, but I'm thinking more about people who are looking to heal and, and looking to find the right practitioner, which in the end are also practitioners because they also need their own healing. So it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the end, we're all just humans. It's like, that's all we are. <laughs> humble, humble, fragile humans. Well, I mean, in a sense, the question I hear you asking is, is just kind of like, how do we get connected to our own healing? How do we kind of move forward in our own healing? And especially how do we do that in a situation where 
a lot of people are actively being traumatized and actively don't have enough to give. So there's, there's a lot of need and not enough um, support. You know, I think one thing I would say about that is that people who are trauma survivors or who have experienced a lot of wounding um, oftentimes have a really hard time um, tolerating certain emotions. And um, I don't know if I talk about this explicitly in the podcast, but actually, I think I might talk about it if, in season two, if I ever get there. Um, but uh, so one of the big emotions that we have to experience when we try to get something and there's not very much of it, and we might get a lot of no's or a lot of rejections is um, feeling disappointment, um, feeling longing that's unmet, feeling hurt, um, feeling angry, feeling sad. And uh, it's the, it's, it's the difficult, the difficulty in tolerating those emotions is what makes it hard to keep reaching out. So let's say that for you to get some support, you're going to have to reach out to 10 different people, or you're going to have to reach out to 10 different healing practitioners. Um, and nine of them are going to say no. And you don't know which nine are going to say no. Could be the number, the number one per first person says yes, could be the last person says yes. And there's so, such a difficulty in, in kind of um, tolerating that no, that first nine times to get to the yes. And so what I would say to people is, whatever you need to do to find some sense of faith that it's worth it um whatever you need to do to tolerate those feelings uh, you know if if you really really are isolated and you don't have anyone to talk to i would get out a journal um i would talk to the plants i would talk to the sky i would talk to the water i would talk to you know whoever will listen and just and and be in the pain of it like it's so painful to be rejected and um that moment that we kind of let rejection become the full narrative, um, we definitely aren't going to find the acceptance. Like there's not going to be anybody who says yes to us if we stop reaching out. And I know it's so hard. I mean, it makes me emotional to talk about. I know it's so hard to keep reaching out. Like in the Bay Area where I live, you can't find a therapist right now. It is so difficult. I get people contacting me, you know, just being like, please, please, do you have any space? Do you know anyone with space? And I'm like, I, I can try really hard to find you somebody, but I, it's such a difficult situation because what's happened basically is that everybody needs therapy. And so it's, it's really difficult. And, and this is a great reason to become a healing practitioner because there's so many people who really need healing. Um, but yeah, like that faith and that sort of that ability to just weather through it, that it just, that to keep, to kind of keep trying basically. Yeah. And sorry to be a bit mushy, but when you were saying about, you know, like connecting with something that gives you hope, I want to circle back again to the podcast, because I think if you're at the edge or you kind of opening up to this idea of healing, that is such a beautiful thing to listening, to listen to, right. To other people's stories and how it was for them. But uh, yeah. And that also, it brings me back to my next question um, I wonder kind of where, where you seeing psychedelic therapy go and as you're working or, or writing for people who are in healing practices, I wonder if there's anything that you wish more people knew about psychedelic integration, because even if that's not a focus for a healing practitioner, you know, they might still have people show up who want to do that work and talk about it. Like, is there anything you would want to share with those people? 
Yeah. So we're kind of the question of, it sounds like it's the question is where do I see it going or where am I hoping it's going to go? And then advice about, yeah, kind of integration work. Um, so, okay. So there's sort of a whole camp of people that's like, oh, wow, psychedelics, it's this new breakthrough. And, you know, like we, we've got to get people trained up to do this new amazing thing. And I'm of the camp that's more like, y'all, our ancestors have been doing this for thousands of years all over the world. I mean, really psychedelic medicine or using an entheogen, um, which for people who don't know, that's just more like a plant-based psychedelic, uh, like mushrooms or something like that. But um, you, uh, we've been doing this for, for so long. There's very few places in the world where psychedelics do not naturally occur um, and that people haven't been using them. So I don't think this is like new breakthrough technology. I think that um, like you know, in the U S I just feel like it's, there's a certain group of people who are newly kind of relating to it. Um, and so, uh, where I see psychedelic medicine going is that people are trying to patent mushrooms. People are trying to make a lot of money off of it. People are, uh, you know, sort of designing these companies where people who are not very well trained will be your guide people are designing apps where the app is your guide. Like, can you even imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine using a freaking app, using your phone at all while you're high as hell trying to heal? No, no people. This is not how it's going to go. I mean, the sad thing is this is how it's going to go. But so what I'm hoping for psychedelic medicine is that I want um, entheogens and psychedelics to be decriminalized. And I just the same that I want all drugs to be decriminalized because I do not think that they need to be um, illegal. Uh, I do think there needs to be a lot of public health education and you know a lot of mindfulness around the decriminalization of drugs. But um, uh, we know from p- countries that have done it that um, it's uh, like less people die when drugs are decriminalized. Um, So I want all these things to be decriminalized. And then I want there to be a lot of consumer education about kind of what to look for in a guide so that, you know, so that, and this is, for example, in Oregon state um, in the U.S., the mushrooms are being um, basically, uh, you can go get therapy with mushrooms. It's going to be starting in 2023, you know, and one of the things that's cool about it going above ground is that even though the, the requirements to actually be a guide are very little at this point that we don't know that that might change. They're in the process of kind of working it out. But um, even though the requirement to be a guide might be very little because it's above ground, just the same as you would look for a therapist, you can go to someone's website and actually read what their experience is. So they might say, you know, these are all the trainings that I've had, or this is how many years I've been practicing as opposed to like, I have never done anything like this. And I got this one certificate training and I'm ready to go. And just some consumer education for people. So I'm hoping that, you know, like most things, the companies and the governments are going to be like on their just like terrible exploitative edge, just like kind of, yeah, trying to get a lot of money out of people. And I'm hoping that, you know, on the ground level, we're doing the work that we can to keep people safe um, and help people heal. And also in that, you know, this issue of people sexually abusing or emotionally abusing people who they're doing psychedelic medicine work with, um, this is a this is a huge issue. I'm very worried about this getting because being around somebody who is 
um, uh, under the influence of a psychedelic while you are not, and you're the healing practitioner is a very powerful role. And in the wrong hands that can be devastating and, and terrible, that level, the level of abuse that's possible. So, and we're seeing a lot of that as there's all these big call outs coming out. So that's another thing I'm really concerned about that I hope people will take very, very seriously and get a lot of training if they're trying to go down that route. So then to your other question about integration, um, yeah, you know, the way I think about integration, I actually think more about preparation. Um, So with preparation, I think a lot about what it means to kind of prep your psyche. And when I say psyche, I don't just mean mind, but like your psyche, your body, your soul, that sort of that consciousness in you. Um, and, and how do we prep that so that when you get into the journey space, your psyche is ready to go. And I think about, um, you know, if you know that you're going to do a journey in a month and every day for that month leading up, you do some writing that's very specific about the intention that you have, you are focusing your attention and you're, you're prepping your psyche let's say that instead of doing that every day for that month leading up, you just think about how annoying one of your coworkers is who like got a promotion that you didn't get. And like, Ooh, did they deserve it? I don't know. Maybe I deserved it. And like, Ooh, I feel like my coworkers like them more, you know, if you kind of, and I'm not saying this is bad, but the likelihood you're going to end up journeying around the thing that you spent the most time thinking about is high. (laughs) It's a high likelihood. So And that's not bad because probably you're going to go in and do some really big deep work about how you didn't get that promotion and like what that means. Um, But I I say this to just say, if there's something you really want to focus on, it's about putting that, it's about truly putting that focus on it beforehand so that it's so, it's so worked and ready that when you get into the journey space, your psyche is like, yeah, I know what, I know what's up. I know what we're going toward. And then for integration work, um, you know, to me, integration is just like, are you going to listen to the truth? Are you going to embrace and listen to what you know is true? And a lot of times, so, and I'll say this other piece, which is that a lot of people think psychedelic medicine is really beautiful and is like, I went in and, you know, I, I saw all these beautiful colors and I felt loved and yeah, you know, like that happens. But if you're going in to hear, heal like serious trauma, you're going to be suffering. Like a lot of people really suffer. And I don't mean to say that it's bad. It's actually really powerful because a lot of what we need to do to heal trauma is actually to suffer it all the way and, and feel it and know it and know it in its depths and survive that and then come out. And and then you see some beautiful colors and, you know, and there's usually like a more beautiful part at the end when, when you've kind of done the really hard work. Um, But so a lot of times what happens is people come out of journey space and they've learned something that's really hard. You know, it's something like I need to leave my partner or I need to uh, have a new relationship with alcohol. That's where I don't use it as much. Or um, my job is not, I can't do my job anymore. Like my, my job is actually so painful for me that I need to, you know, I need to change careers or just like big stuff. And Um, or I need to tell somebody, you know, I need to confront one of my parents about something, whatever the thing is. And I think, um, integration work is just about no, knowing that truth, knowing what you need to do, um, or knowing a thing about yourself, even, um, it doesn't even need to be something that's in the external world, but just knowing, like, I need to be more loving than myself, for example, and then actually really listening and doing it. 
And um, I think it can be really useful to be talking to a therapist, talking to friends, going to psychedelic integration circles. Honestly, I think one of the most amazing things you can do is meditate. Like I'm a big fan of meditation and, um, and these are all things where it's just like, you just, just staying in connection and in relationship to what you learned and, and really embracing the truth and, and finding a way to let it like be acted out in the world. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for people to hear that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the last question I want to share with you is I could, you know, you take this any direction that you like, but I'm wondering what your hope is for life after the pandemic and what you're hoping we're learning from this. Oh gosh. Yeah. What a good question. I mean, life after the pandemic, will that ever happen? Like is the pandemic... <laughs> I feel like we're never going to get the pandemic out of us. Um, I'm so curious, you know, I mean, there's things like, uh, like going through a world war, for example, it really changes the world. It really changes the way we are. Um, I think about the AIDS epidemic um, and how much that like has just changed the world and changed how we relate to sexuality, how we relate to the physical practice of sex, um, how we relate to our health, how we relate to blood. Like I remember, you know, I, I, uh, was growing up during the AIDS epidemic. And so I just remember like sort of a shift from like, oh, you cut yourself. Oh, got to get a bandaid to like, okay, this is really serious. This is really dangerous. Someone's bleeding. Um, like, what does this mean? You know, get away from the blood. Um, so I have, I am with everyone else in the kind of wondering of like, how is this going to change us? I hope it changes us in a way that's more beautiful. I hope that one thing I see is that people are a lot more willing to say that they're not doing okay. And um, just because I'm like a person people confide in, like before the pandemic, like we were not doing okay. Like nobody was, you know, I just feel like so many people were suffering, but they weren't telling anyone. And now people feel allowed to say like, I'm suffering, I'm not doing well. So I am really hoping that healing is gonna be more normalized. Um, I am hoping that people really value relationships a lot more and community and connection because it's like so much what life's all about. You know, I fear that people will not, I fear that we're going to go into a world where we actually are just really distant because we're so afraid of like breathing each other's air and we're afraid of being close. And, um, you know, even like we're afraid to have like our, our mouths not covered. I mean, there's, there's so much potential to go in either direction to towards healing or towards really suffering. And I am hoping for the healing, hoping, praying for the healing. Me too. Yes. Um, yes. Thank you. So before we go, um, can you just let people know when your book is coming out? Maybe let us know what it's called again. I know your healing practice is probably full, but still let us know what your website is and how people can find out more. Yeah. So my book is called Radical Healership. Um, how to build a values-driven healing practice in a profit-driven world. What a mouthful. Um, and it's really a guide for healing practitioners of, of any discipline. It's coming out February 22nd. Actually, it's coming out 2-22-22, which is so cool. I know it was supposed to come out earlier, but um, shipping delays, COVID, thank you. So now it's coming out 2-22-22. Um, and actually I'm going to be doing a promo, like a big discount code. So if people are interested, um, 
come find me on social media. I mostly am active on Instagram and I'm at Laura May Northrup, but I, you know, I kind of, I dabble in the, the other, the other social medias too. And I have an email list as well. People can get on, which I very rarely send emails out, but only, only the important ones. Um, and, uh, and so you can find me on my website, which is Laura May, that's M-A-E Northrup.com. And Yero, it's so lovely to be here and talking to you. I'm so happy to be on your show and talking to the people who you offer all of this amazing information to. So thank you. Thank you so much, Laura. It was really incredible to talk to you. Like I said, I'm so excited for people to hear about this and to read your book and just grateful for the work that you're doing and really glad that we got to talk. Thank you so much.